Today, as we come to our final week in Colossians, it would, of course, be so helpful to have your Bibles open. So, Colossians chapter 4, that's where we're picking up. And there's an outline on the back of the news with translation points in Korean and Dinka, if that's of, of help. But let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to God's Word. Gracious God, we thank you so much for all the kindnesses that you pour out all the way in which we see your grace made manifest in our lives and those around us, and especially for the saving good news of your Son. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, that you would give us a great clarity and understanding that we be moved in heart, mind, and will as we are enjoined in your mission to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. As Tychicus and Onesimus deliver, and they likely read out the letter to the Colossians, the church in Colossae have been reminded by Paul not only of how extraordinary Jesus is, but also who they have become as they put their trust in him. And so they've been reminded that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over creation, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the head of the church, the fullness of God, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is extraordinary. He's supreme without contemporary. And as this news of Jesus comes flooding into and takes a grip on the Colossians' lives, it has transformed them. They have become God's holy people with a hope stored up for them in heaven. They are rescued, redeemed, once alienated, now reconciled. They have been buried and raised with Christ, and they are now clothed in his likeness. They are, because of Jesus, whole new people with lasting stories released to live in the light of Jesus' rule awaiting his return. And now, as Paul draws his letter to a close, he reminds the Colossians that just as their identities are not found by searching inwardly, their purposes, and their core purpose, is to be orientated outward too. Paul, you might remember, he opened the letter by pointing to God's worldwide work. So we read back in chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit, and growing throughout the whole world, Paul now closes the letter by telling the Colossians that they too have a role in God's worldwide work. Plenty of organisations around the place, in fact almost every organisation, will try to convince you in one way or another of just how compelling their mission is. And, and they do that, of course, in order to try and entice you to invest in the shares or buy the stuff or come work for them. But as any ordinary person becomes a Christian by putting their trust in Jesus, we are enjoined, we participate in God's mission to save the world through his son. He'll return and establish his everlasting kingdom forever. It's a pretty compelling mission. The only problem is that tomorrow, when you awake in your household, arrive at your workplace or go to school, 
you know, basically show up on your front lines, it's easy to be a bit like a deer in the headlights and wonder, I don't even know where to begin. I remember once ordering an enormous load of, of topsoil that had to be spread in a very small amount of time. This was, you know, one of a series of poor choices. Soil arriving 48 hours to lay turf before you fly off to London with the family was not the best choice. But I remember in that moment when it was dumped on the driveway, just kind of standing back and surveying it for five minutes, wondering how on earth do I even get started with this? And of course, the answer was one shovel at a time. The most amazing news is that as Paul closes the letter, we don't need to be crushed by some gargantuan goal, but he gives us a simple threefold rhythm to walk step by step a missional life. The threefold rhythm of prayer, proclamation, and partnership. First, a missional life is characterized by prayer. So, not squeezed in, but our first priority. Verse 2, if you look with me, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul, you'll note, is providing both a rhythm and content for a missional prayer life. First, look at the rhythm. Devoted, watchful, and thankful. Devote yourselves... Devote yourselves means that the Colossians as a whole and as individuals will make prayer a matter of first importance, the highest and the most important urgent priority to be a people focused on and soaked in prayer. Watchful. Watchful could mean waiting attentively for the Lord Jesus to return or generally being vigilant, especially with regard to faithfulness. But in light of the immediate context in these verses, Paul is probably speaking about looking out, ears open, listening for answers to prayer. Thankful means that as we devote ourselves to prayer and are watchful for God's response, that we would make sure that we actually give thanks to God and keep doing so as he so graciously acts. Paul, of course, has modelled that gratitude all throughout his letter. Over the years, I have found it so helpful to not only keep prayer notes of, of what I'm praying for and who I'm praying for, but that as I keep returning to them day by day, that as I do so, either uh, waiting for a response or giving thanks when I recognise an answer. And I have to say that I've really had to step up this discipline, uh, not because I'm particularly faithful by any measure. No, I have to say that I finally stepped up in this only when I reached the point of being so embarrassed by the number of times that I would come before God praying something, forget about it, therefore never be really listening for an answer, and of course failing to give thanks. I've got to constantly work on this, but it's worth it for it's both a privilege and a missional responsibility. My practice, it's a work in progress, is that 
I uh, leave those points, all those points in my prayer notes, and I'll write thanks by the side of them. And I have to say that still, even though I prayed through and pray those regularly, I often I felt, find myself, as I recall them, reflecting, oh, that's right, I prayed for that. How quickly I had forgotten. Thank you again, Lord. If you find prayer a struggle, just try with one more step, one small step. Three prayer points written down are going to be much more effective than none. Devoted, watchful, and thankful. That's the rhythm. But note also the focus of the prayer content. Verse 3, and pray for us too. As we pray for others here, for Paul and his colleagues, that the prayer, the focus, is that God would open a door for the message to proclaim the mystery of Christ and that they would do that well. Such a simple and needed prayer. When Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, he's of course not saying that the good news of Jesus is a riddle that requires a sleuth, but that the mystery of salvation has been revealed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And note that even though Paul's in chains, he's in prison, Paul isn't asking for God to open up the prison doors. I'm pretty sure that would be the focus of my prayer request, but that's not what he's asking for. No, he doesn't in any way see that as an impediment for gospel proclamation, but he prays, he's asking for prayer, that God would open up the door of people's hearts to receive the good news. I often say that the two most important questions for all of humanity are, who do you say Jesus is and what is the condition of your heart? Paul can proclaim the good news. He asks for prayer, for help that he would do that well. But how we desperately need God to open the doors of people's hearts. Praying for people isn't just a nice sentiment that we promise to do, but as we pray, we are participating in the very outworking of the sovereign Lord's mission in the world. Paul, in this context, is reminding the Colossians of our role in praying for those who have particular roles set apart for the proclamation of the good news, but but we all participate in it. When I was growing up and I was in primary school, I didn't really have uh, many Christians around me. I, I went to a, a public school. We, we didn't go to church very often. Yet all through school and after, I had this enormous sense that particular teachers, some of whom much later down the track I discovered were actually Christians, I had this enormous sense that they had been praying for me. I am so thankful. So often, when it comes to God's mission, we can feel powerless or overwhelmed to participate, when the truth is, we're only a breath away from the most missional activity that we can engage in. If you're here today or joining us online, the likelihood is that at some point, someone has been praying for you that your heart would be open to receive the good news. 
this year at St Bart's, we've had the, the great hope that every person would be praying for at least three people to become passionate followers of Jesus. Now, collectively, that means, even accounting for the exciting likelihood that some people are praying for the same people, that thousands of people could be being prayed for to become believers. If, if you didn't get to start praying for, for three people by doing a Disciple Makers card, or, or that practice, if you're honest with yourself, has fallen a bit to the, to the side, uh, today is a great opportunity to pick it up. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep a list, buy some post-its, get an app, do whatever is helpful to have a prayer life shaped for mission. Second, a missional life is characterised by proclamation. Whilst prayer here is speaking to God about people, proclamation is speaking to people about God. Verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When Paul says, uh, be wise in the way we act towards outsiders, that is, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, he's providing both a mindset and a method. The mindset is that part of our intention, wherever we go, would be the hope to point to the good news of Jesus. So, you know, when I go to a cafe, which occasionally happens, I, I go often with the baseline hope of having a coffee. But you know what the more fundamental hope should be? My more fundamental hope should be that I would have the opportunity to share the good news in some way. The phrase, make the most of every opportunity, carries the connotation of redeeming time. Not merely from some sort of productivity point of view for all the getting things done advocates, but a sense of redeeming the time for God's purposes. It's like when an awesome sale is on, you know, no one wants to miss it, so everyone makes the most of it. It means that wherever we go, our working assumption, especially as we pray, is that God is opening up opportunities for us to share the good news in word and deed. I think it's super encouraging that the image here is not that we have to sort of shoehorn Jesus' talk into our lives, but, but that we would simply just accept and speak into the openings that God is actively creating. So that doesn't mean that we can just like hang back, step back, because the opportunities are likely everywhere. We often can think that our circumstances are the biggest inhibitor, but Paul doesn't, and he's in prison. Just this week, I had a, a problem with my uh, car, and as I had to walk back to the city from dropping my car off, I found myself thinking, what a waste of time. I thought, you know, this is such a distraction from all these other things I, I have to do. And yet, as I turned the corner, an opportunity that I've been praying for for over six months to share a small sign of God's grace to someone in particular, been praying for for six months, popped up out of nowhere. Or so it seemed. The Colossians, every day, the, in the marketplace, in the bathhouses, homes, forums, and meal tables. Every day, people from St. Bart's, 
are in workplaces, homes, shops, schools, in the community. And the method isn't that when you arrive to work tomorrow, you've got to jump up on your desk with a megaphone. Please, I don't think that's the best way to do it. But that we'd simply speak grace, that is the good news of Jesus, with graciousness. So seasoned with salt, meaning in a loving and in an interesting way. When Paul says, so that you may know how to answer everyone, it's encouraging because the assumption is that people are going to ask you questions. It's challenging because it means that we should always be growing in our understanding of our faith so that we'd actually be ready to give an answer. Now, that doesn't mean we need to understand everything, but there's so many simple ways that we can be practically equipped. Part of the purpose of our upcoming public lecture and teaching day is to do precisely that. Small groups, I think, are an essential way in which we are prepared to answer questions by discussing things together. The Centre for Work and Faith is designed specifically to help people on the front line of work. You know, if there's an issue right now in your field or in your community that's a hot topic or, or controversial or emerging, it would be super helpful to be thinking about it and praying about it, to discussing that issue with other Christians, because it's likely at some point someone's going to ask your opinion. You know, in Australia right now, despite more people than ever identifying as no religion when they're asked that, that question, there has never before been so many people Googling spiritual types of questions. Isn't that amazing? You know, spiritual curiosity as an all-time high. People just don't want to ask questions. People are asking questions. What a tragedy it would be what a missed opportunity it would be if the appetite for Christians to answer didn't match the hunger to actually ask the question. Now, that might mean or be as simple as arriving on your Zoom calls a little bit earlier to be available or giving your perspective on something when someone asks, even if you're apprehensive, of the response. It could mean inviting someone along to the public lecture or to Alpha. You never know the response. Make the most of every opportunity ready to answer the questions you will be asked. Finally, a missional life is characterised by partnership. Now, when you see that list of names in verses 7 to uh, 18, it can be tempting to skip over it. It's just the mechanics of, of letter writing or something like that. Bible nerds often really love these lists because they provide clues on how to piece together the early history of the church together. But I think there's something even more interesting and exciting to see. Uh, these are the rolling credits, Paul's cast and crew of proclamation. And so as we go through this list, we see uh, the couriers of the letter. So Tychicus and Anisimus. Anisimus was a former pagan and slave who is now en route back to his master with a letter. You can keep reading about that in Philemon. Uh, the companions and co-workers of Paul there as well. So Aristarchus, who is imprisoned. Mark, who Paul uh, endorses. The Colossian Christians themselves are mentioned as well, who 
Paul and others, like Epaphras and Luke, really effectively give the ancient equivalent of a shout-out, don't they? They go like, hi to Nympha in her house church, g'day, we're praying for you. This is Paul's cast and crew of proclamation. Those who will take Paul's words to read and explain them, those who are praying with Paul right now for the Colossians, those who are in Colossae in house churches, living the Christian life, telling the good news. And even those who Paul expects that the Colossians will send his letter onto after them. So this is part logistics, part endorsement, part strengthening, but it's all gospel partnership. I absolutely love it. It's the diversity of people and relationships all enjoined in Christ and for Christ. Just think about, imagine the great diversity of people in this community. Different roles in various places every day with a diversity of gifts, but the same Lord. And of course, whilst this is a a little tiny snapshot of who and how God was at work, there would be innumerable people unheard of or, or those of whom we know little but who went on in faithful witness to cause the gospel to reverberate down the centuries with gospel partnership continuing today. Who are you partnering with as you seek to follow Jesus? Let me tell you, there's two telling questions as you think about that. Who is a gift to you in gospel partnership? And who are you a gift to in gospel partnership? Just as the Christian life is orientated outward, it's not some sort of inward, self-absorbed spiritual journey. We're also not solo gospel pioneers. We're not gospel cowgirls and cowboys riding into our front lines alone. But wherever you go even if there are no other Christians there, you go and need, just like Paul, a cast and crew for gospel proclamation. Partnership, of course, has many forms. We express it with our gifts, our time and our resources. With those whom we lead and those whom we serve alongside. But a big clue to answer the question, who are you partnering with is that you'll be able to tell from who you pray for and who is praying for you. That's so evident, isn't it, all throughout the letter. Even here, Paul assures the Colossians that that Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for them. It's standard practice that when people who are missionaries go overseas, they have prayer newsletters, they have prayer requests. Well, I think every Christian should have prayer points that they're sharing with their gospel partners to pray with them on their front line, people for whom they are wrestling in prayer and those who are wrestling in prayer for them. That's why I think small groups are are such an obvious and great place to nurture gospel partnership. It's a place every week you get to share time and space with other followers of Jesus, share life, pray, hear, share struggles, encourage and being encouraged, challenge and being challenged. 
we get to know intentionally how to best partner and pray for our brothers and sisters. One of my most dearest friends and mentor who is now with the Lord taught me what I think is the most important question that we can possibly ask of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The question is simply, how can I be praying for you? It'd be a super question to ask as you're sharing tea and coffee or if you're joining with people online or in the chat. Because when you ask that question, you find all about people's front lines. You get to know how to shape your prayers. How can we be praying for you? But I have to say, if I'm really honest, that what is shocking is that when I ask that question, and particularly when I ask that question of ministers, they so often don't know how to answer because people so infrequently ask. I, I think that's madness. We should be scurrying to know how to pray for one another's front lines because we know that God is at work. He's inviting us to participate. And how we so need him desperately to open people's hearts. And even when we think that our little doesn't really make much of a difference, we trust that God is gathering the crumbs of our faithfulness and piecing them together beautifully. Just before our current Alpha began, uh, someone in the workplace in Toowoomba had an opportunity, it seemed like a pretty random opportunity, to share something about their faith story with a relatively new colleague. They didn't really know them very well, but they had an opportunity to share this. Now, I don't think they probably thought much would result from that interaction. Yet, on that same day, that very same day, the person from Zabatz, um, who the person they had spoken to, well, later that day, they just happened to sit down for afternoon tea, unknowingly, with another person from Zimbabwe, and they just mentioned that they'd had this conversation earlier that day. And they said as they heard something of this person's faith story, that it caused them to reflect that actually they didn't really know much about Christianity, that actually they really hadn't given it much consideration to what they believed. And so the other colleagues sitting there said, well, maybe you should come along to Alpha. There are thousands of people in that workplace. The two from St. Bart's didn't orchestrate it that day. But of course, there is one who took their faithfulness and did something beautiful with it. It's what I often think as the uh, random fruit of faithfulness. I just say that person came on to Alpha. Uh, the random fruit of faithfulness, people just are getting on with prayer, proclamation, and partnership trusting that God does the rest. I see it time and time again, but of course there's nothing random about it. God is at work and he's inviting us to shape our lives according to the heartbeat of his mission, one step at a time. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much that as we put our trust in Jesus we have the great privilege and responsibility of participating in your mission to the world. Lord, we really pray that our lives would be increasingly shaped by prayer, proclamation and partnership. Lord, may our prayer lives be growing, especially missionally, that we would be devoted, watchful and thankful.
we, we pray that you would help us in the power of your spirit to really make the most of every opportunity that you place before us. We ask that you would open the hearts of those to whom you send us, that people might be so ready to receive the good news of Jesus. Lord, please help us and prevent us from trying to do things solo, but that we would revel in the partnership of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be wrestling in prayer for one another and open as we ask people to pray for us too. So, Lord, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.